How many of you, this is a serious question. How many of you do not like the freedom you have and would like more of it taken away? How many of you love the size of our government and bureaucracy and would just as soon it increase? One of my favorite lines was from Dave Lansom. He used to be in our church. He's now in heaven. And uh, he would drive by with his daughter from the, from the, gov- you know, the government over there. And he, when he'd drive by, it's like, honey, that's red tape. <laughs> I like freedom. I don't want the government meddling. If I had my way, I'd probably cut it in half and maybe do it again in another year. I do. I, I, I like um, freedom. I, I don't, I understand codes and I deeply appreciate them, especially when there's an earthquake that comes. But the fact is, I love freedom. I, I like the freedom to drive all the way around, you know, across the United States. Um, I, I've been in Europe, as you probably have, and you get on a train and every different country is a different uniformed individual with a different kind of gun and, and monetary system doesn't always travel in some of the areas. And so I, I love the freedom we have. Um, I, I think it's a glorious thing. Uh, however, one of the things that we probably don't talk enough about is something that needs to accompany freedom. And that is responsibility. Paul was uh, writing in 1 Corinthians 8 is where he began this discussion. Today, we're going to wrap this one up. We'll move on next week into 11. But he's, he's talking about this issue of freedom. And he introduced it around the issue of food or meat, in particular, sacrifice to idols. That's where the common person shopped. They went to the temple. And uh, there was some debate in the church as to whether or not we can go to the temple anymore. Or if we go over to a person's house, do we have to ask them, where did this cow come from? Is it HMO? Is it organic? Where is it? Is it sacrificed? What's the deal? We have the litmus test that we have to go through. And Paul says, you know what? We're free. However, we don't have an untethered freedom. We don't have an unrestricted freedom, if you will. And the danger is, is if you do, some people are not going to use that freedom well. As he's wrapping up this issue of how to handle our freedom, he comes to this point where he lands with this kind of summarizing point. Freedom is a great thing as long as it is accompanied by personal responsibility. In particular, he wants to unpack that. But he starts with the affirmation and the affirmation is the affirmation that Christ has given to us and that Christ has set us free. Paul doesn't want to back off on that. He doesn't want to somehow slip back into the law and slip back into Judaism. And so he begins and there's some debate whether it's Paul's statement or he's kind of assuming a statement from them. It really doesn't matter because the same point is, is made. Everything is permissible or in some of your translations it says all things are lawful. Now this again is not some uh, untethered kind of statement. Hey, drink whatever you want, eat whatever you want, sleep with whoever you want. All is law, uh, you know, lawful. No. He's talking about what? Food sacrificed to idols. He's talking about things that are not specified in scripture. In this gray area, in particular, he raises this issue of meat. All things are lawful. 
However, he says, I do want to bring this caveat. Is it beneficial? Is your behavior beneficial? Not to yourself, primarily. It's to other people. Is what you're doing not something that just satisfies an itch in you or a desire in you or a need in you? Is it beneficial to other people? He's now saying is, yes, you have freedom. However, it needs to be what? Restricted by a question. Is what I'm doing constructive? Does it build people up? Or is it just an issue in my heart? Embracing freedom, Paul's going to tell us, is part of the vision of Christ. It always has been. Because most of these statements I'm going to give you come from Paul. He says, in a variety of different places, we are free from the law as a condition of salvation. You're never going to have anyone in our church. Never. I can... I'm not a betting man, but I'd bet the house on this one. You're never going to have anyone in our church say, if you want to get saved, follow the Ten Commandments perfectly. You'll, you'll never hear that. Why? Because we know we're free from the law as a condition of salvation. What we're not free from, the law in terms of God still doesn't like idolatry. He's against covetousness. He doesn't like murder. And, and by the way, theft is not high on his list either. And we can go down all of the Ten Commandments. Is it a means of salvation? Absolutely not. We're free from that. But we're not free from what? The moral guidelines. I think another thing is we're free from sin. When you became a believer, sin did not have mastery over you. You don't have to sin. Prior to that, you could only sin. Why? Because your entire life was an expression of your independence and rebellion against God. We're free from condemnation. No one has the right to condemn you. No one. If you're in Christ, Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Those who have been cleansed by Christ, you should not walk in shame and you should not walk around people who want to shame you. And that is to define you by your sin. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You're free from that. Free from condemnation. Free from worry and anxiety. This is not one we often, you know, kind of like hold each other to. Uh, because actually some of us really kind of enjoy worrying. And anxiety is maybe one of our best friends. But it shouldn't be. Not if you trust God. Not if God is who he says he is. He's the one who takes care of the sparrows. He's the one who looks after you. And if that's true, and God does look after us, and in fact God is all-powerful, then worry is illogical. Anxiety doesn't make sense. I'm free from it. I'm free from eternal punishment. If you are in Christ, you should never spend one ounce of time and energy worrying about facing Jesus. You shouldn't. When Carrie and I die, boom, right in the presence of Jesus. She's going to go up 30 flights ahead of me if rewards have anything to do with hierarchy. I'll go visit her periodically or she'll condescend down to my level. But the reality is we're both in heaven. It's just a reality. We are. We'll never worry about that. I will never stand before Jesus and wonder, what's he going to say? Oh, dear God, I know. 
you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You got it. Don't have to worry about it. Not one minute should you worry about that. I'm free. I'm free to pray. I'm free to serve. I'm free to love. However, Paul says, all those things are true. But freedom without the restriction of proper responsibility is dangerous. And so he gives us four guidelines that we should govern our freedom. And the first one he says is that your freedom should always be restricted, should always be influenced, should always be buffered by what? Two things. Does it help or does it build up others? He used the terms, is it beneficial and is it constructive? Beneficial, it builds them up. Constructive, it shapes them. It encourages them in terms of beneficial. It's, it's, it's a good benefit to them. Constructive means it instructs them, it corrects them, it, it improves them. Those are the two standards Paul says that I want you to govern your freedom with. Is what you're doing right now beneficial to this person? Is it constructive? Does it help them in their relationship with Christ? Does it move them towards more godliness? Or, by the way, does it move a person who is not of faith closer to trusting Christ? Or does it put up a wall, a barrier, confusion? The fact is, you're free to watch TV all night. You can go home tonight after church, eat lunch, turn on the TV, and you can binge till you just can't even keep your eyes open. Tomorrow, you might determine that wasn't very beneficial. You can get on and become an expert at video games and compete against the world. The problem is, is you may not know how to relate to your roommates who live next door to you. You're free. You can do it. You can freely speak. You can be brutally honest. You can say things. And in fact, you can even kind of justify it like some people do and say, well, you know, if you don't like the heat, get out of the kitchen. That's kind of the phrase that people use when they want to say anything. The fact is, sometimes a person is honest and you're just being mean. And maybe you need to restrain what you have to say because it might not be all that beneficial. And it might be true, but maybe the way you're saying it is not so constructive because maybe that's not even your intent. You can give your kids anything you, they want. You can be the kind of parent that says, let me tell you what, I am, I, man, God has blessed us. We're going to give you anything you want. And, and you're going to tell your kid, I never want you to have to look for a job. I want you to be able to focus on your grades. I want you to be able to focus on sports. And now all of a sudden, your child has graduated from college. They have no idea how to interview. They can't have a conversation with another adult. And they have no idea what it means to interview for a person and to get up and set an alarm. But you gave them everything. You provided everything for them. Is is it permissible? Yeah. Have at it. May not be constructive. You may have created an individual who's going to be asking you for an extension at the age of 40 to live in your home. 
Like you can do it. it. It's permissible. It may not be beneficial. And that's what we have to ask. Because our freedom can't be unrestrained. Our love in that sense can't be untethered to questions of what? Responsibility. Paul was writing to a secular church. It was a a Christian church in a secular culture. Their highest value was pleasure. Their highest value was their own personal pleasure. And so what Paul is writing to them is is honestly so radical because he's introducing into this church this concept that when you live, your personal pleasure should never be your highest value. You should never use your freedom to pursue that as your highest value. That's quite secondary to what? The benefit and the constructive relationship that you have with other people. But some people might say, wow, man, do we always then have to be held hostage by the weaker brother? That's Paul's term for the person who maybe doesn't have certain freedoms when it comes to food or when it comes to drink. And sometimes people will raise this question. I've heard it, uh, honestly, dozens and dozens of times. Is do we always have to surrender ourselves and restrict ourselves to the weaker brother? Now what I've noticed, not always, but what I've noticed is typically when that question is asked, it's asked in a very theoretical sense. Meaning, do I always have to, you know, be held hostage to the weaker brother? And I ask the question, who's the weaker brother? Well, they don't really have a specific person. It's more of a theoretical question. And and it's really just a person who's saying, you know, I want to fight for my freedom. I think it's great. But here's something that you might want to consider. When asking the question, do I have to be held hostage always? Oh, my answer would be probably not always. However, when you personalize it, I wonder if it changes. Yesterday, I was in an apartment with a gentleman. He's an alcoholic. When I walked into the, heart, the apartment, he, he just simply said to me, I'm sick. And by observing him, I knew it wasn't the flu. He had the shakes. He hadn't eaten in 48 hours. I was there for an hour and he threw up five times. It was only water. He couldn't even keep water down. There was a moment in our time where I just held him. He was like holding onto a vibrator. He just shook and shook and shook and he was sweating. Now, if you were to ask me, Mark, would you restrict your use of alcohol when you're around that guy and think for a moment that you're being held hostage by a weaker brother? I'd have to tell you, not for a minute. I want him to be alive. I want him to get married. I want him to have kids. I want him to use the life that he's lived redemptively for other people. And if there's any way that I can restrict any part of my life for the benefit of him that he would live, I wouldn't flinch in making that decision. And I don't think you would either. So when you're asking that question... Am I willing to restrict my life? Do I have to be held hostage to the weaker brother? Make it really personal. And I think you actually might come up with a different answer. 
Because that's, if that's a person you love, and if that's a person that you want to see step into the kingdom of God, or you want to see a person overcome an addiction, I, I don't think there's anyone here that would say, oh, I don't want to be held hostage to this weaker brother. I think you'd do it gladly. That's Paul's point. Friends, the kingdom of God has a different value system. And the value system is not to exercise my freedom at all cost. It's to submit my freedom to the benefit of other people. And when you do it, he says, don't whine about it. If some believer, he says in verse 27, if a believer invites you to come over to your house and you, and you want to go, go. Don't brag about it. Oh man, I'm free to have a beer. Just go. It's kind of like Tom Landry said, you know, I loved his statement. Tom Landry, former Dallas Cowboys coach. He said, you know, he says, when you get in the end zone, act like you've been there before. It's one of my favorite lines. And if you're a believer and you have some freedom in an area, quit acting like a middle schooler bragging about it. Sorry, middle schoolers. I, I, if you're here, I didn't mean to offend you, but I probably did. So I owe you one. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Not the offense, it's the owe you. If you have freedom, I really am sometimes just so deeply troubled by young Christians, by older Christians who move into a level of freedom and they feel like they got to go tell everybody about it. Good night. Act like you've been in the end zone before. If somebody invites you to go over to their house and you go over and they're going to serve you meat, don't feel any hint of of a need to like um has is this organic beef um has it been injected with any hmos um have you offered it to any idols paul says get over yourself you don't need to ask those questions however on the flip side he says if you get invited to come over to a house and somebody asks the question hey has this been sacrificed i'm I'm not free. I I just, I'm troubled by that. Uh, Nothing against you, but I'm troubled. And if they ask that, then set it aside. But here's what he says. Don't make a big issue out of it. Where do I see that? Keep reading. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? It shouldn't. If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for. You won't be. That's his point. If somebody invites you over, eat. Just don't brag about it. If somebody invites you over and they have a different conscience, feel free to restrict yourself, but don't whine about it. Be a person who gives thanks to God for whatever freedom and whatever privilege you have of loving another person. When you restrict yourself, when you put up a boundary, it should never be something that you grouse about. Why? Because my friends, you're just being invited to restrict your freedom in a moment for the benefit of another person. And that should never get under your skin. Not if you love people. Third, he says... 
I want you to live for the glory of God. How do I use my freedom? Live for the glory of God, even if it means your personal sacrifice. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, verse 31, do it all for the glory of God. What does that mean? You know. Have you ever watched an Olympics? When the, those, whatever country, but let's just use the U.S., when they walk out, is there anyone on the U.S. that just wears a Carhartt t-shirt? It says, I don't want to, I mean, I got funded to come here from the U.S., but I, you know, well, maybe I shouldn't go there. Probably people who do this. <laughs> but the reality is we all understand that when they're there and they have the flag on and they have all of that, they represent us. See, for those of you who are soldiers, you know that wherever you went, if you had a U.S. uniform on, everything you did related back and was connected back to this country. If you've been on an athletic team and you put on the garb, wherever you go, how you play, how you speak, is a reflection of that university. Those of you who are parents, you know, when your kid carries your last name, everything they do, the good things and the bad, reflect back to you. When I was, when we were younger, I told my boys every day, glorify God, honor your name, don't embarrass your gender. I was saying it to the boys. There's enough men out there that are idiots, don't add to the list. And defend the weak. Every day I told them that. And the first two are really very similar. Glorify God. Understand that if you put on the name of Christ, understand that everything you do When you tattoo a cross on your shoulder and you say a verse here, everything you do, everything you say, every play you play, how your attitude is going to be a picture to what? To Christ. That's what Paul says. Do everything what? Knowing that your entire life is a reflection to God. Don't wound his name. Don't wound it. Because your neighbor, the person you go to school with, the individuals you work with, many of them are shaping their image of what God is like and what Christ is like because of you. And if they see you as a vengeful, unforgiving individual, they're going to think that's who Jesus is. And you say, oh, no, no, they're going to know the difference. No, they won't. John 17, the Jesus' prayer, he says, Father, may they be one as you and I are one so that the world will know that you sent me. Jesus is saying, oh, Father, make the church look like us. Why? Because then they'll believe that you sent me. Your freedom needs to be restricted to the point that you understand your life, my life, The way I treat people, my truthfulness, my grace, my forgiveness is a reflection of Christ. And Jesus has every right to say, Mark, you do not have an untethered freedom. You don't get to live in this world just to please you. Your personal pleasure is not your highest pursuit. 
put the boundaries and do them because your life has Jesus tattooed on it. And people are coming to conclusions about who God is because of me and because of you. Last, Paul says, I want you to use your freedom for the benefit of others, and that is to live to help others trust Christ. Verse 33, he says, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. I know you, I do. I think I can say with all the confidence in the world that if you know that your life is being used by God to draw another person to Christ, that would delight you. And that's all Paul is saying, is restrict yourself, put boundaries on your love, your freedom, the things you can pursue. Is it a perfect restriction? Is it a restriction that exists in all places and all times? No. Now he says, you know what? If you get invited over to a house and that person gives you meat sacrificed to idol and your, your conscience doesn't convict you of it, enjoy it. You go over to another house. And this is where Christianity, I think, gets a little tough. It's because we like policies that we can go everywhere with. Sometimes you have to have policies that fit. And it's going to sound so liberal, kind of circumstantial. No, it is. My friends, there were places where Paul said, Timothy, get circumcised. Titus, don't get circumcised. Over here, eat meat. It's okay if your conscience is clear. Over here, don't do it. What's the determining factor? Your love for those people. And your passion to see them come to Christ. And your understanding at what is a stumbling block to them versus what is a stepping stone. Fact is, every day you need to be concerned about the people that God has put into your life. Obsessed with it? Worried about it? No. But you do need to ask yourself the question, how does my freedom need to be shaped today, Lord, for the benefit of other people? Uh, I've noticed cool people have a bucket list. Um, I don't have a bucket list. I, I tried to make one, it just didn't come together. So I don't have one. But I had determined, it's kind of funny, um, I have a non-bucket list. Things that I will never do. Um, here's one of them. I will never knowingly get on a plane with the intent of jumping out of it. No. I know some of you who have done it. I honor you. I respect you. I know some people that went into the military and man, they, they got into the you know paratroopers. I, I'm... I honor you. <laughs> Not for me. I get height challenged right here, just looking down there. <laughs> I would tell you, though, I think I know this with fairly sound confidence, that there's never been a person that got on a plane knowingly and jumped out without their parachute and said, Freedom! Nobody. And in fact, everyone who has ever gotten into that plane with the intent of jumping out, when they pull that cord and that parachute comes out, no one ever gets angry that that parachute restricts their fall. In fact, they're thankful. They're delighted. 
that that parachute is up there catching all kinds of air. And only because of that parachute will they enjoy the ride down. Because without it, they're filled with fear. The Christian life, I think, is in many ways like that. The mature believer, the one who loves people, the one who's in this world not for their personal pleasure, but the one who wants to see people saved and the one who wants to see alcoholics freed and the one who wants to see addicts overcome and the one who sees domestic violence wants that cured and wants that done and wants that healed. The person who wants that and is passionate about that looks at restriction the way a paratrooper looks at that parachute. I will gladly restrict myself if it means your life. I will gladly put a bridle on my tongue if it means I can build you up. I will gladly suppress having things my way if it means that you can be constructively loved and mature. And if that's the case, then I have some questions that I want to suggest that we consider. Number one, will this decision or action lead to a freedom or will it lead to slavery? There's a lot of decisions that you make and people make and you guys have to ask yourself the question, am I exercising a freedom that might actually entrap another person to greater slavery? And if so, is it beneficial? Will my behavior make me a stumbling block or a stepping stone? You don't need to be paranoid over that, but I think you need to ask the question. Is what I'm doing going to help my neighbor trust Christ? Or is it going to be something that he trips over because he thinks, really, Uh, that's who Jesus is? Number three. Will this decision build me up or will it tear me down? And you can ask that for other people. Will this decision build others up, those around me, in my family, my friends, my roommates, doesn't matter. When I make this decision, when I'm exercising my freedom, is it something that is going to build me up or will I do it and have to process hours or weeks of rationalization in my mind? Will this action please me or will it glorify Christ? Those don't have to be mutually exclusive. And number five, will my steps help to win the loss to Christ? Or if I exercise my freedom, sometimes again, not sinful, just sometimes my freedom, might it turn them away? The mature person understands that freedom has to be balanced by responsibility. When I'm holding my friend yesterday, and he's sobbing, and throwing up, the idea of restricting my day, missing one of my grandson's games didn't seem such a loss 
as much as I love my grandson. I will restrict my freedom any day if it means that I can help this person move closer to Christ, win the battle. And on that, Paul says, you use your freedom well. Let's pray.